If you were asked to build a system or a database that can look up domain names to IP addresses that we can use to connect to a server. The first idea that comes to at least my mind is, hey, it's a database, right? Let's put this in a table. Let's create a beautiful index on that table and have an entry that has the IP address and other records as well. So if I say, what is the IP address for google.com? We do a lookup on that string field and then use the B3 index, get back the IP address, return the user. What is the problem with this design? Well, the problem with this is we don't have 10 websites on the internet. We have billions of websites. So if you build a system like that, that query will be will take finite amount of time to finish, right? We can optimize it. We can partition as much as possible. We can do all sorts of tricks in the database. We don't just do, hey, let's shard it, let's cache it. No, we can, we can do tricks. But even though, it comes back to something I always say in my videos and my courses. To work with billions of rows, you have to avoid working with billions of rows. That's the best solution. And that's exactly how the DNS system works today. It's a brilliant, simple design that makes the DNS, instead of this centralized database, you know, the, I would say, naive idea of having everything into a single table, into a distributed, right, system. And exactly how that works is the topic of this uh, episode of the back engineering show how about we jump into it and discuss welcome to the back in engineering show with your host hussein nasser this is the show where we discuss the art and the craft of building software and cover recent news on backend technologies. If you enjoy the show, make sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel and rate it on Spotify and Apple Podcast. With that said, let's get on, on the show. Welcome to another episode of the Back in Engineering Show with your host Hussein Nasser. And today I'd like to talk about DNS, how it works. So we established that we can't, I say can't, we never tried really, but I I, I guess it's dead on arrival, DOA as they say. When you put everything into a single table, it just doesn't scale. Yeah, you can index it, but that index will be so large and it's going to be known memory, right? And then, okay, what do you do, right? Like you, you're going to have multiple, you need multiple servers. You can't just have one server running this whole show, right? You need to replicate these changes all across the internet. Don't get me wrong. We still do this work, but it's a little bit, little bit minimum and isolated so the dns guys whoever built the dns protocols is 
really pretty cool and simple design and i and i absolutely love it although it does have its kind of limitations and while we do mention it's distributed we can kind of debunk that because at the end of the day all queries goes to an authoritative server and if that's down then it doesn't matter if you're distributed or not we've seen all the kind of outages with microsoft with google with slack many outages results from dns as they as the saying is hey it's always dns but how does it work so in this video i want to talk about how it does work today and then go through just a simple example using a beautiful tool that is available in every computer it's called ns name server lookup ns lookup so we're going to play with that a little bit so let's take an example hosseinnasr.com that's my website so what those guys did they split the domain into two parts the first part is the they call the top level domain the .com so you've seen site with .com you've seen site with .org you've seen site .net right you got to have .something at the end of the day you can't just have the unless it's a host internal to your network right so you have to have a dot something so dot engineering is a new thing dot technology is a new thing right so this is called a top level domain what the dns does is break these on purpose they built the name server on purpose to be partitioned so they built the partitioning into the system itself ingenious if you think about it that's this is what we want to learn from the backend engineering here when you design something you got to own the whole thing go to the root of the problem don't just accept the requirement push back right it's like oh just do that hey i want to 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 name the domains whatever something users type to an ip address if if those guys were given their requirement they would have failed and instead they went back to the root and re-architected that says okay oh we can't do that let's partition the names so there will be something called a top level domain and then the actual name and then there is a subdomain as well so three levels that might be more not sure but this is what matters so the top level is the dot com that org dot engineering dot whatever and then just by knowing that you just eliminated billions of results right because now you know it's exactly how partitioning works in databases you go and you know exactly where to search for you eliminate results you don't work with billions of rows you work with sub billions or millions or less than that granted that dot com now grew <laughs> just the dot com became the the large blob if you think about it not everything is dot com but still if i can eliminate searching the dot net addresses and the dot engineering address and the dot org addresses still good right the dot all this stuff it's beautiful you know as a database engineer i appreciate this design and just we can learn so much from the history of those geniuses that built these systems obviously we all have criticism we can criticize all day but we gotta appreciate sometimes and just sit down and appreciate the, the just the idea of this partitioning at the application level right 
So now we know the top level domain. We eliminated a huge search results. Now we go to the actual domain and we look up that IP address, right? And in that case, if we have also another hierarchy subdomain, we also go to that sub list and look for that effectively. So that's how it works, right? In, in a high level. So now let's go into the deep of the DNS record. So what really happens is when you go to HusseinNasr.com, the first question you ask, you ask someone to tell you where the top level domain for the dot com exists. You don't know that. And that, that, that lack of knowledge is beautiful called decoupling. We try to decouple the client from as, as much information as possible. Don't let the client know stuff. So you only know about a server that can tell you the top level domains. And these called are the root servers. And you query the root servers and there are only 13 replicated root servers around the world, right? You can Google that. And the purpose of that, it, it tells you tell those is, hey, where, give me a .com server. Give me a .NET server. Give me a .engineering server. That's all what it does. So it gives you back an IP address that belong to the top level domain of whatever you want to search for. Right? So in this case, I want the .com because we're saying also .com. So give me that top level domain and a top level domain server of a .com. So the root server will reply back with an IP address and says, hey, here it is. Here is the top level domain of the .com. Here's a server. So now you're responsible to turn around and connect, right? There's no connection, it's UDP, but you get the point. You send another request to the top level domain.com. Hey, you're a .com server. There are, there are millions of those, right? .com server won't be one. They're, they're everywhere. Now it's unlike the root. The roots are less, they're beefy, they're replicated, but there are only 13 named root servers. The .com, oh, the root servers are updated with .com servers all the time, not .NET servers all the time. Now you got an IP address for one .com server. Now you send that packet and say, hey, HusseinNasr.com, HusseinNasr.com. So, because you're a .com server, you you might know HusseinNasr.com. Where's that guy at? Where's the IP address of HusseinNasr.com? Guess what? The top level domain won't give you the IP address of HusseinNasr.com. No, no, no. That's a lot of work, right? Because what if I want to add 10 IP addresses? Do we go to all those top level domain comms and update those? No, 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 no. You, up, you as the owner of the domain, you do changes to your domain all the time. You change the TTLs, you change the text domain, the record, you add CNAMES, you add stuff. You can't keep all these changes propagated to millions of top-level domain servers. No, that's a bad design. So what those guys did is now the top-level domain will find the entry that says HusseinNasr.com, but it will 
point back to another IP address. Someone who will know. And that third hop is called the authoritative name server. And that authoritative name server will have the answer for hosseindawson.com. This way, if you do a change, you only change the authoritative name server. Let's continue. So now I ask the top-level domain, hosseindawson.com, where is it? it? says, hey, here's someone who might know. This is the authoritative name server IP address, which was when we registered, this is, was the, the authoritative name server. Okay? So we get back an IP address for the authoritative name server. And then we send another final request. Hey, HosseinNasser.com, what's the IP address? What's the A record of HosseinNasser.com? That third bit. And that will look up its tiny database because that name server at the end of the third name server will only host maybe just you if you own it. But if it's like a GoDaddy or someone else, it will own a couple of million maybe, right? Maybe more. Depends like how, which provider you're going to use, right? That query is quick. You're going to get it, right? And then now you get the IP address of HosseinNasser.com. Now the client can connect and send the GET request to get the HTML page or whatever that is. So you've seen this. This is with zero caching, no caching at all. So we made a call to my DNS server. It's called the Resor... I can't say that word, man. I always get tongue twisted. Resolver. Gotta say it the British way. Resolver. If I can't, if I say it the American way, I can't say it. resolver. 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 That's how the American way I say it. Resolver. So the resolver is the first. The resolver is the first thing that you hit as a DNS query. The resolver will turn around, query the root server to get the .com server. And then the resolver will turn around to query the top-level domain.com server to get hosseinnasser.com authoritative name server. And then the resolver will turn around and then query the authoritative name server asking for hosseinnasser.com and we'll get the IP address. The client, me, the resolver now will respond back, right? So the, the resolver made three synchronous requests, right? And I also made a synchronous request, synchronous request, to wait and I'm blocked here to get a response from the resolver. And the resolver finally get the response and then responds back with a beautiful IP address that he gives me. Now I can go my merry way and actually connect to the to the server who said also to come and do the TLS and do all that jazz. So now if you talk to a resolver, chances that this resolver already did a query and got the result from the authoritative name server so they will have the result cached and it will have a time to live it says hey keep that for x amount of seconds minutes hours whatever right so now when you add a new entry like you say hey i want to do some sort of a dns load balancing i want the a record for hussein to be this ip address just one ip address now i'm going to add another ip address for load balancing you know i want i want to have two load balancer each with a unique uh, public ip address and i won't have to have one dns that points to both so it will it will basically pick up random right and that's up to the client which one to pick i guess when you do a query you get all the ip addresses and the, it's up to the 
uh, client to pick which one, right? I don't think you get one. You get all the IP addresses for that error code. I might be wrong on that one, right? Uh, correct me, network guys. Uh, but yeah, so when you do that, when you add a new IP address, you just touch your authoritative name server, right? That's pretty much it. Eventually, everything will will get propagated. Whenever the time comes, the the resolvers will pick it up. You know, they will the cache will be updated. That whenever the time to live will get expired, you're gonna pick it up, right? Now that I talk about DNS, right? What is the protocol used in DNS? Classically, always been UDP. UDP is a very simple. There is no connections needed. You know, you send a request, you get a response. You know, but because UDP is stateless, you might say, "What? There is no request and response in the context of UDP. It's a stateless protocol. There is no. I'm not, I'm not waiting. You know, the application is waiting. But if I send a request, if I send three DNS requests and I got three replies, it's like, how do I know which uh, datagram is for which request that I sent? You can't just do that, right? That's the same mistake people make when when they use the same TCP connection on a web app, right? To send queries from web app. You know, if you have thousands of HTTP requests coming to your web and you're using one TCP connection. So if you send a query for user one, right? Through the same TCP connection and then another same... And another request came in to same TCP connection. You use, you send it, send another SQL. How do you know? Let's say request two, the second query was faster than the first one, and you get a response. Like you, you don't know which the segments belong to which query. You gotta get jumbled result and very bad. Don't do it. Right? Don't. That's why people use dedicated connections. It's like, hey, I'm sending a request. I better wait, and nobody else can use this connection while I'm sending this query, right? You can argue that if the protocol that is the database uses, I know we're off topic, but it's it's very similar. We're gonna come back to UDP now with DNS, but it's very similar. If you are back, if you're sending that query and you know that the protocol tags the database protocol here, or the low level database protocol tags the query ID somehow, and you know that the client, the database client, and your backend app knows which query is for which, then sure, but you don't know that. Most of us, unfortunately, just use libraries and we don't know anything about it. Very bad, right? So you be safe, you use database pooling, and we go many way. Unless someone designs an actual database system, client, ODBC, I believe, I don't know if ODBC actually support that, I might be wrong, but we need someone who understands all that stuff so we can build it from the ground up in a very performant way. Back to the DNS query. If I send something, I don't know the response that comes back belongs to which. It has n- it, uh, we, 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 we really don't know anything about this stuff. Right? So we tag the UDP with the DNS query ID, something called a query ID. So we generate certain value random and that becomes the query ID. Hey, I want to say Nelson.com. Boom. The server, in this case, either the top-level domain or the resolver or the authoritative name server, needs to reply back with the same query ID. It says, hey, this is your query ID. Right? 
and this is the IP address. So that's how when we reply back with the query ID, we know that, oh, this is the query that we sent. That's the DNS query we sent. Oh, I'm going to match it in the client and the application side. Oh, oh, that's the query for HusseinNasser.com. That's the query for Abbas.com. This is a query for Google's.com. Let me reply back and then aggregate and uh, make organize the results. So now here is some danger. Because of the statelessness of UDP, if a resolver talks to a top-level domain and talks to an authoritative name server, there's something called DNS poisoning. If I sent a query ID, seven, and then that an attacker came in and then started responding to the resolver, not responding, just sending UDP packets to the resolver, spoofing the source IP address, spoofing the port, IP, uh, the port, and then randomly generate query IDs. It says, I don't know anything as an attacker. I'm going to generate a bunch of random query IDs, and I'm let's hope one of them will hit, right? That's what we're going to do. And then hey, here's a bunch of query IDs, right? And here's the answer, IP address. What is going on here? What is happening here is the attacker is trying to poison the resolver by sending a bunch of UDP queries, responses, right, with query ID. Obviously, some of them, most of them will not match, right? Because the query ID might be just not, not cached in the resolver, you know, memory, it wasn't a request that is sending, but some of them might hit. And if they hit, those domains will point to the attacker's specified IP address. Let's say 6666 as a, that's the Cloudflare examples, right? It's like a, a evil, right? So now, if one of those queries were for google.com, the resolver was just poisoned with 6666. And I believe there was a big news at some point. There was like a huge DNS poisoning attack going on and it happened. Some of the domains inserted resolvers were poisoned with attackers' IP address. So now if you go to google.com, all of a sudden you're not in Google. You're you're on the attacker's side. Very scary stuff. I gotta say, it's not really easy to achieve because you gotta be so lucky. Because not only you need to spoof the source IP because it's easy, you know the source IP. It's the top level domain or the authority. It's the authoritative name server. So you can just uh, uh, spoof that. You know that. Right? Again, spoofing is also not easy. You, you got to own your own ISP in order to do that, you know, because ISPs block spoofed attack. And the source port is known 53. It doesn't change, right? Although some, some authoritative name server choose random to make it hard. But the destination port is also now in very critical and very hard to guess because that was the source port that was sent from the resolver. That, that's completely random. So you have 65,000 guesses there. So you have to guess the port. You have to guess the query ID. So the guess is so huge, right? I know there are attacks with IP fragmentation, the way IP fragmentation happens where the IP packet that host 
the UDP datagram. If it's too large, it might get fragmented. And the first part will contain the source IP and the source port, the destination IP, the destination port. But the second part is the juicy part, which actually contains the query ID and uh, the actual IP address. If the attacker, if a fragmentation was enabled and the attacker just spoofed that second fragment and they can guess the fragment ID, then the search space is so much low, right? And it becomes really dangerous, right? That's why IP fragmentation is, a, eh, is it's disabled in most cases. The DF flag, I talk about that in my networking course. It's right here. Go to network.hasainnasr.com. Talk about all that stuff. But yeah, there is a DF port and DF port, DF flag in the IP header that says, hey, don't fragment, so don't run into this. But yeah, DNS is very interesting. Right? But yeah, DNS is also distributed. DNS is so cool and beautiful and all. Um, but is it really distributed? When everything at the end of the day pulls down to one authoritative name server that has the answer, because we made that choice to not store the content in the top level domains, but instead have an additional hop where the authoritative name server that where the records are actually stored, because if we do that, then if those are down, you're stuck. You cannot resolve to whatever your website is. Like what happened in Enom, right? Like my site went down a few months back because I, I used Enom services as, as my DNS authoritative name server. There was my DNS, it was, Enom was my DNM registrar. That's the name they use for it, right? So that means I don't own my own authoritative name server. I asked Enom to reserve hosseinnasr.com and put an entry on their own authoritative name server, right? And notify all the top-level domains and the routes about this. You don't need to notify the routes, just the .com. That's another thing, right? The routes are never touched. They only touch when there is a new top-level domain, like .engineering or no whatever, right? But most of the time, you always touch the .coms, right? So, and so Enom will go and add an entry in all the top-level domains. We'll advertise that, and it's all managed by the INA, uh, you know, authority, does all that stuff. And we'll add hosseinnasr.com as an entry in, in the, all the top-level domains that points to their authority in their server. So people were going to hosseinnasr.com, but it was down. Why? Because the resolvers will find the IPRs of the authoritative name server, but the resolvers couldn't even connect to the authoritative name server because it was down. The authoritative name server went down. And as a result, the moment you went down, you can't resolve HosseinNasr.com. Yeah, the caches will live for a few hours, but they will die. They will time out, right? HosseinNasr.com entries, all the caches will die eventually. And the site will go down. So is DNS really dist as distributed as we might have thought? Not really, right? Because we still have a central point of failure, which is the authoritarian server. Some people, let's continue this. This is a juicy topic. I love this. Some attackers host their own, this is what happened to Apple at one point. Let's talk about it. An attack that happened to Apple. Some hackers host their own authoritarian name server, which means any DNS query to let's say attacker.com. Let's say an attacker.com is the DNS 
entry. The attacker.com points to an IP address that uh, is the authority name server and is hosted by the attacker. So if you forget connect, if you do a DNS lookup on attacker.com, just a DNS lookup. That means if you if you just pinged attacker.com, you just sent your IP address to the attacker by just pinging it, right? Brilliant, you know? So any DNS query will go to the resolver, to attacker.com, okay, .com, where's the top level domain? Here's a .com, name. attacker.com, okay, top level domain, where, where is attacker.com? Oh, it's that authority name server, 6666. So the resolver will query 6666 and says, hey, what's the IP address of attacker.com? And the attacker can choose to reply with garbage or reply with literally anything it wants. But it captured stuff here. It captured information the idea of capture what is the attacker.com so i say i said what are you capturing ips sure no you can capture anything that is in the subdomain and this is what happened someone installed pushed an npm package and it was downloaded by a lot of organization included apple and apple engineering downloaded this package and it was distributed locally and what does this what did this do? It literally just did a did a DNS queries on what is the DNS query? Because it's running locally, the code running locally. It was it was taking the host name, taking the environment variable, and then hashing that. Not hashing, it's doing base 64, so it can change it back base 64 and then adding that base 64 string dot attacker.com it says hey i want to hey i am a i'm an innocent npm package i just want to go to this blah 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 dot attacker.com take me there so there is a dns okay i attacker.com blah 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 dot attacker.com what is that hey uh, dns do you know that well it says okay blah 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 which is a very sexy string you know this string is juicy it has all the information about the host name the environment variable your jwt stinking tokens all of them are in this string and you do the attacker.com where resolver help where's the dot com dot com oh there's the where's the attacker.com oh there's that guy hey attacker.com where is Blah 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 dot attacker.com. What is it? Tell me. The attacker won't reply, just oh, you just gave me a juicy information. So the attacker will just throw everything away. We'll reply with the garbage, but we'll take that precious substring, the subdomain, we'll debase 64 it, decode it effectively. Got the host name, got the JWTs, get anything you want. And that's how it leaked sensitive information using just DNS. Once you know how things work, it is fascinating to understand it. I don't know. It's just I just absolutely love it. Finally, so the woos of DNS. One part of the DNS that is actually also interesting. Chrome. Chrome is now, what, 70% of the entire world uses Chrome? So if there is a feature in Chrome 
they better test it really well. They better know what they're doing because they can affect stuff. So Chrome back, I don't know when it happened, maybe two years ago. It was discovered two years ago, but the feature wasn't installed in 2010. So yeah, it was, it was a long time ago. What is that feature, you might say? You see, when you type uh, in, in Chrome something, I say, I want to go to, I don't know, engineering. You type a search term, just engineering, not a URL. Or you type marketing, or you type whatever, right? Chrome tries to be smart. It says, okay, do you really mean to search for engineering? Or do you want to go to HTTP colon slash slash engineering, which might be a host name on your local area? Because if you have a VPN, if you if you have like a closed VPN, you might have a server named engineering and you just want you want to do an HTTP request to it to retrieve something local. It's completely local. But Chrome doesn't know that. So Chrome wants to know that there is a host name that is called engineering. So what does it do? All right, so if we're going to like engineering, right? Chrome will show me, all right, do you really want to search for engineering or do you want to go to HTTP colon slash slash engineering? But how does it know to show you the second one? It actually performs a DNS request on that thing that you searched. So imagine everyone who attempt to type, you're just typing and a DNS request already is executing. So when you type something in the Omni box, as they call it, a DNS request will be performed on the anything you type. How to get slim. How to get slim. I think if it says, has a space, it doesn't do it, but it's like, if it's, it's like if you type slim, slim shady, you know? A DNS request to slim shady is being sent, right? So if, if this DNS request, if there's a server that's named Slim Shady, your DNS request will go to your local area first, right? And it says, oh, Slim Shady server is right here. There's an IP address. Cool. So it will show, do you mean HTTP Slim Shady? And it will go, uh, it will try to go there. It will, it will give you the option to go, to go there. But if, if there is nothing, right? There is nothing local. Like, what does that mean? If there is nothing local, the request has to go outside, right? So Slim Shady is going to a resolver. Just, just the string Slim Shady. What is that? There is no .com. There is nothing. So who is the poor schlub that will be queried? The root servers, right? The root servers will be queried with Slim Shady. It's like, hey, what is the... <laughs> it will treat Slim Shady as a top-level domain. So it's like, hey, give me the IP address, top level domain of saying Slim Shady. It's like, what are you talking about? There's no Slim Shady. So the root servers are getting hammered. So only when that root server reply back with a bad address, only then the Chrome will say, oh, there is no Slim Shady. So I'm not going to display an additional entry that says, oh, do you want to go to HTTP Slim Shady? It's like, how far do you want to go with when it comes to user experience, right? Sometimes user experience kills the performance, but all these requests goes to the root servers, right? Imagine, right? Anything you search, the, the DNS queries are just getting hammered to those poor root servers. Another thing, the Chrome made this worse. Some ISPs and some organizations like work organizations, 
effectively anything that is mistyped or mis meaningless, they would not even bother send it to the DNS resolver. The ISP will interject that because ISPs see the DNS queries like they are plain text, right? Well, still for now, right? Uh, they will reply back with, with an IP address. You know, you see, sometimes you go to a website that is, you mistyped Google and will go to a sh shady, scary website, you know? And you type the same thing again with a different spelling, it will take you to the same website. That's that's your ISP doing this. No. Basically, you will catch any misspelling, anything that's random, anything anything that doesn't make any sense, you know? Like a string without .com. It will eventually, it will not even bother sending it to the root servers. It will just resolve it to an IP address that owned by the ISP and go your merry way. In that particular case, Chrome was showing literally HTTP for everything, right? Because anything you type will have an IP address. It won't go to the root. In this case, the ISP is kind of protective. But now that's bad to the Chrome. It's like, oh, we want to fix that. Chrome said, hey, we want to fix that. It's like because everything you type, right? Slim Shady one, right? Grandma's, right? For hire. I don't know. <laughs> what the heck? <laughs> okay. I don't know where grandma's for hire. Yeah. Anything, one word, it will show HTTP slash slash grandma's for hire. So because the, the, the query is always resolving to an IP address, right? Although the IP address is bogus because it's the same IP address all the time. So Chrome added a check when Chrome starts. It says, okay, let's fix this. We really, if, if, if there is an intern, internal redirection happening, right? I'm going to reference all the articles below for you guys. If there is an internal redirection that we just talked about here, that if ISP is doing or the organization is doing this internal redirection for catch all domains i want to detect it chrome said i want to detect it how would chrome how would you get detected i'm gonna send when i start up or the when the network change i'm gonna send three dns queries with random ass strings blah 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 one two three boom 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 dns queries just literally just string they're, they're top level domain strings there's Nothing. Just send three queries, three DNS queries. Boom, boom, boom. If two of them matches the same IP address, there is a definitely an internal redirection, and I'm and I'm not gonna bother showing that Omnibox entry. See over engineering what it does. That's over engineering to me. Just to hide something, that is over engineering over the user experience, in my opinion. So careful with these things. Hey, I want to hide this. Why are you showing me? Just because of this small case. Look at what happened now. And it's told. 2010. I'm going to show the chart. 2010. Up until 2017. Or uh, when was it detected? Let me check. 2020, actually. Two, two years ago it was detected. 2020. They detected that. The chart shows the number of queries to the root server sky high unnecessary requests to the root servers and the logs clearly show all these three strings queries massive massive load obviously we didn't know what these loads mean meant back then but it, it went there for 10 years nobody knew anything about it 
tells you that nobody is actually monitoring those road servers at all, right? Because like if you look at these road servers and you see these squares, like where are these squares coming from? But it turns out to be an app. So the load that was put on this root server for literally nothing was there for 10 years. Massive. So they Chrome fixed that immediately. They detected they fixed that. I don't know how they fixed it, to be honest. Just remove that damn thing. Who cares? The users are smart enough to type HTTP colon slash slash marketing if they want to go to that. Let's not be smart, right? Sometimes we be, try to be too clever by half. And that's our problem when it comes to engineering. We try to be too smart. No. Let the users work for it a little bit. Just add HTTP. It's not really hard. I mean, it's hard for grandma, I understand. But a grandma, when is the last time a grandma wants to access a local website? You know, Just add a shortcut on her desktop for grandma. You know, Add a shortcut. Add a bookmark for grandma, okay? But yeah, the, these things, you know, makes me always think all the time. But DNS is beautiful. It's a beautiful design, but uh, it has its limitations, has these problems. Nothing does. There's no, there's nothing without problems at the end of the day. But this is the end of this episode. I wanted to talk about it. I'm, I'm going to make another video for NS Lookup. I'm just tired. <laughs> I just don't have it there. It's late here, so that's the only time I can record. But yeah, uh, guys, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Uh, what do you think about DNS? I absolutely love its design. Obviously, there is always pros and cons for everything, but uh, it makes me think about the, all of this stuff. Hope, hope, uh, hope you enjoyed this episode. Gonna see you in the next one. You guys stay awesome. Goodbye, you Disney.